You're listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast, where we're bringing to light important research and concepts that you need to understand to improve your learning and performance. Hey, I'm your host, Cordy Walker, and I wanted to try something different. A lot of the times when I sit down with our guests in the Golf Science Lab, we have a conversation that's an hour or more. And so we're going to try something out and post the unedited version of this conversation I had with Dr. Matt Bridge on a study he did on pre-shot routine. This is a wide-ranging conversation, as you can tell, where we cover all the details and dive into a lot of things. So if you enjoy getting into the weeds on topics and figuring everything out. You'll enjoy this. If you just want to understand the concepts and get the most important pieces of information, listen to the edited podcast and you'll get all the same information, but in just a more concise format. Without further ado, here we go. So there's been a study that's been making the rounds lately uh, on Twitter and and Facebook talking about pre-shot routine is conducted on the European tour. Uh, And it was really, really cool. I thought it was fascinating. So I was like, man, we have to dive into this and figure out everything that's going on here and and why these results are happening. So looked it up uh, and it's a great researcher, a guy who's really involved in the golf space, uh, Dr. Matt Bridges. And so we're going to sit down with him and talk about everything. Matt, how's it going? Uh, great, thanks, Cordy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. So if people um, don't know you, haven't heard your name, give us give us the quick 60-second background of, of kind of who you are and what you do. Um, I'm based at University of Birmingham over here in the, in the UK. I work in uh, collaboration with the Professional Golfers Association over here, delivering their coach education programs. And uh, my research, uh, teaching, and my fascination is around the, the science in golf. Perfect. Perfect. So take me back to the the study on the pre-shot routine. Take me back to like the first email or the first phone call that you had about this study. Like what were, what was the kind of initial mission? What what was trying to be found out in, in that initial phase? So, um, well, I mean, our initial, if you like first contact with, um, the European tour and, and RSM who, who was sponsoring the, the study, who attacked an audit company over here, um, that would have taken, you know, the summer of, of 2016. They approached me and said, um, we want to do something different. Um, we, we want to, rather than, you know, just advertising around the tournaments, obviously you just had the, the RSM Classic over there. We want to do something really novel. Um, we want to equally do something that's useful for, for players, both players on tour um, and amateur players as well. And, and so we kind of bounced a few ideas around it and came around with this idea, well, let's try and understand player performance and start to understand player performance. What makes European tour players as good as they are? Um, equally, when things don't go as well as they wish, um, w- what's different? What's changed? What's changed as such? And, um, and then one of the key things we also wanted to get out of it is actually to give some feedback to the players on tour themselves, but also, you know, to amateur golfers, you know, what, what does this actually mean for your game as well? Got it. So you're looking at a performance. Why or who picked pre-shot routine? Was that you? Was that um, these other people? Like who narrowed in? Like this is the this is the data we should collect and look at. Well, yeah, to, to some extent, they they had their own ideas already, but you know, it kind of fitted with something that would be interesting to look at because in the sort of science research world, we have a lot of information, a lot of studies on on pre-shot routine, and, and there's certainly. Um, some good evidence that that having a pre-shot routine can lead to improved performance in a whole host of sports. Um, and, and equally, what we wanted to do is get some data that, you know, nobody had got before. 
So the key aspect of the study here is that everybody collecting the data, the, the RSM volunteers that we had, 40 at each tournament, they're inside the ropes, you know, 20 yards away from these players taking these measurements. So um, pre-shot routine is obviously one of those things that can lead through to performance. We often in golf, we're obsessed with with the outcome. Um, that one of the advantages we now have, we have like the strokes gain, strokes loss statistic, which allows us to to kind of look at different shot outcomes. But, you know, what's most important in terms of a player is the process that they go through that leads to those outcomes. And, you know, because that's what creates the outcome. So pre-shot routine really fitted with some of the work was I was doing here at, at Birmingham as well. I just had a, uh, a PhD student, um, uh, a guy called Dr. Noel Rousseau, who's a PGA professional, finish up around this idea of pre-shot routine. And, and actually, he, he looked specifically at the time over the ball in his... Um, in his PhD. And so the two things fitted together really nicely. And, and we kind of went forwards from that. Got it. So describe to me this data that collected, you, you touched on it there briefly. G give me the detail. Um, so they're volunteers, they are out there watching. How did they time? What were they timing? That kind of stuff. Okay. So this, and this was one of the things where I really had to, to give it some some thought because you know my my sort of the golden thing that I'd have, I was looking for is you know just you let me film every single shot of every player but you know with media rights and, and things like that 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 couldn't happen so um, we we got forty um, volunteers uh, who were all golfers recruited for every tournament and and they would follow they were in pairs they would follow um, a player and if the player made the cut they'd follow the same player for for four rounds and and so they were working in pairs because one of them was looking. Uh, what are the things, you know, the behaviors that happen in the pre-shot routine? So is there a firm club choice? Um, is there a discussion around the yardage? You know, is it, is it in unsure? Uh, how many practice swings they take? Where they take those practice swings? Um, if there's a, sort of a, a, a negative reaction to, to a shot um, or a putt or whatever it might be, including throwing clubs, snapping clubs, we had one or two. Um, then the second sort of volunteer was collecting all the, the data for us to actually calculate um, strokes gained over here. So a little bit different to the PGA Tour on the European Tour in that we haven't got the shot link set up. Um, so what we had to do is collect that data um, ourselves. And so we had the volunteers out there with GPS devices, um, recording the lie, recording the, the yardage through to the green. And then... Um, obviously, one of the other key measures for us was the time that a player spent over the ball from address. So from um, when they first uh, address the ball um, through to impact. So uh, they were timing that on a, on a stopwatch. And, you know, if I was to I'm going to be brutally honest, that's one of the limitations of, of the study that we have here. But, you know, when we sort of chewed it around before we decided to go go with this approach, you know, when you've got 22,000 shots, yeah, you're going to get some duff ones in there. Um, but we went through quite an extensive screening process in the in the data analysis to ensure that the ones that, you know, there was no real explanation for, for why it was that long or that short were, were screened out. Um, so that's what the volunteers were doing. And they were out there inside the ropes, walking along with the scorer, uh, the scoreboard carrier. And like I say, about 20 yards away. So it's really close, getting really good observations of these of these players. Logistically, this sounds crazy. It's a lot of data that, that you're collecting and a lot of volunteers. And you said 22,000 shots. That's like, this is insane. This is a lot of data to sort through. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was say the, the, the good thing is I didn't have to input it. Um, so we, uh, we, 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 we employed a, a data entry company to get all the input done. I had to check it, but um, 
the the, the main part of, of of getting it put in was was by a data entry company. But yeah, logistically, it was uh, you know trying to coordinate um, people to get to the golf course, to get through queues, and to get a car park space that's really near the entrance, and and then you know to get some people there for a seven a.m. tea time, but then other people don't have to get there till say like a one p.m. tea time, and ensuring they're all coming and so yeah it was um really difficult we had a great team around us so we had um had lucinda who was helping us organize and recruit all the volunteers and making sure they could all get there um and then we had, we had mike and alex um from uh, wasserman who uh helped us to sort of coordinate on on the ground as such and to be honest what really made it work was the volunteers the rsm volunteers um you know in terms of we gave them training and they came in the day before the tournament and we gave them a full briefing and training, gave them a chance to ask questions. We had the, uh, the tournament uh, referees come down and, and talk through the whole process of being inside the ropes. So they got it all really clear. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I think some of them were a little bit daunted when, when they first went out there. So we always looked really closely in the first round they did at the first couple of holes and how they recorded things. But um, the really great thing for, for me, apart from getting this fantastic research data, is that they all came back with a smile on their face, even even when we we're at the Irish Open on the Saturday and it was pouring down rain. Um, they all came back with a smile on their face, having a great time learning themselves from seeing these great players inside the ropes. How, so you mentioned that you would have preferred to have video, and, and I, I get that for accuracy's sake, because you could time it yourself or, or so in some sense like that how accurate do you feel that the data that you got in this in this was because it was humans hitting a, t- a stopwatch i'm guessing or something yeah it was always, it was humans um hit, hitting a stopwatch so you know that, that as i mentioned um that is that is a limitation obviously um but we we gave them a lot of training and one of the key things that we made them them do as volunteers is actually um not wait till the first tee to start timing to go and find their player on the range, on, on the practice putting green, on the practice chipping area, and to actually practice timing them there. We also gave them some, some videos beforehand to practice practice their timing with. And, and what's really key for us is actually defining um, what address is. And um, and so, you know, that's the, a lot of the briefing was about, you know, what is address? Because for each player, it's going to be slightly different. Some will, it will be club to the ball. Some will be their feet will settle first. And, and so the you know what we know is because we didn't have the same volunteers at, at each tournament is you know, if we followed the same player, one volunteer might have picked something slightly different, but we then normalized all of the data uh, for any one on one tournament. So it allowed us to to be um, reassured about you know that we can compare between tournaments. Will there have been some inaccuracy in the, you know the starting and stopping? Yes, but uh, we went through quite a, a lengthy sort of statistical. Um, uh, work up to to identify outliers first of all things that, that looked odd and then out of these sort of uh, th- 3,000 shots that looked odd and we went and looked at every well I when I looked at every single one you know is actually is there a real explanation so on recovery shots for example um, so where somebody's recovering their ball from a, a, a really poor lie um, then yeah sometimes there were there was a lot a lot longer over the ball um, and so you know that maybe was exp- explained away um, but on other shots, you know, where we couldn't see an explanation for a really odd, long or short time, be that either in the, the actual numeric data we collected, but at the same time, the um, uh, the volunteers are also writing out um, handwritten observations as well about what was happening. So it allowed us to go really clear on, on the data. And we screened all of those out. Um, so, yeah, well, there would have been a little bit of inaccuracy. Yeah, absolutely. 
but with that volume of shots, it's, some's going to go some way, some's going to go go the other way. So we're we're very confident overall about the quality of the data. Got it. So um, how many tournaments did they did you have volunteers collecting data at? Was it? Um, we we had we had a sort of a, a mini uh, dry run at the uh, British Masters uh, in late 2016. Um, so I'd call that like a, like a half tournament. And then we did four tournaments in the 2017 season. So we did the um, BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth. We did the uh, Dubai uh, Duty Free um, Irish Open over um, in Northern Ireland. Uh, we did the Aberdeen Assets Scottish Management uh, Open, Scottish Open up in uh, Dundonald. And then we finished off again with the, the British Masters at, at Close House um, in, in sort of was that, uh, September time uh, this year. Got it. Okay. And then I, I saw it's, it's 47 guys that you collected data on. Uh, how did you, how did you pick which, which players you'd, you'd uh, collect this data on? Well, obviously one of the things we have to do a piece of research, you have to let the players know it's going to happen. So we actually um, built this into the player briefing document for all the tournaments um, that we were going to, and actually across the year. So we went really closely with player relations um, at the European tour. Um, so we had some players who instantly went, yep, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, just follow me. It's not a problem. Um, so they came into the study and, and we, as best we could, if they made all four tournaments or they, you know, they had the rights to play all four tournaments, we'll follow them at all four of those tournaments. Um, and then equally, um, with the permission of the tour, uh, we were allowed and through working with player relations to follow more or less who we wanted, um, throughout those four tournaments. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. So the, the nitty gritty here, when does pre-shot routine start and end? Like what, what is this time? How did, how did you instruct the volunteers to start the timer and end the timer? Okay. So the timing is all about time over the ball. So it's from when they address the ball. So if that's club behind the ball or settling their feet, that's when the timing starts through to impact. So talking about the volunteers, about using both their eyes and their ears to get impact. So it's that kind of time frame. If you, if you want to give me a kind of, if I want to give you a, a rough sort of number of what the average of all these players was, is about seven to eight seconds from address through to impact over the ball. So that's what we're timing. We're not timing anything before that or anything after that. So it's, it's not about how quickly they're moving around the course. It's about time at address once they've addressed the ball. Gotcha. So for instance, a player could take, 10 minutes behind the ball taking 50 practice swings and talking to their caddy but then get up there have one second over the ball hit it and that would be a short pre-shot routine in the in the context of the study yeah yeah so yeah we talk about we talk we talk about um time over the ball being the timing and we talk about the pre-shot routine being um largely the behaviors before they address the ball but then equally things like once you're over the ball number of looks to target um that sort of idea as well Gotcha. Gotcha. So time over ball, uh, the finding was less time equals better results. Is yeah, that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the, the easiest way to understand it is each player had sort of their average time over the ball. When they were a little bit quicker than that average, they tend to play their better shots. When they're a little bit slower than that average, they tend to play shots that are not as good. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some good shots that are slower and some bad shots that are quicker. But, you know, looking at the data overall for each player. So a lot of the some of the players we've got um, 16, round, 16 rounds of data on, um, you know, the, the kind of a little bit, little bit slower leads to a worse shot. 
Gotcha. So it's comparing it to one person's average. It's not comparing it to the average of all golfers then. No, it's, it's absolutely at the individual level. So was the variation in time over the ball between players? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I, what, the one thing I can't, can't do is go, you know, the, the golden number over the ball is, is X. Um, I know what the, the average sort of time is, like I said, between seven and eight seconds. But equally, there were some players who would stand over the ball at a dress for 12, 13 seconds and still play good shots. But the pattern was still there. If they were a little bit quicker than, they, than their average time, it's a better shot. You know, so if you think about it, the quicker shot to the better ones, the slower ones, you know, for you are the, are the ones that are not so good. So it's very individualistic time over the ball. But what we do know is that a little bit quicker time does lead to the better shots. Got it. And, and this is why we do the podcast, Matt. Why? <laughs> why does that matter? <laughs> what, what do we learn from this? What, well, what do we, well, one of the other bits, which I have you mention about the study is um, for kind of a subgroup of, of the, the players that we, we followed. So we had kind of a core of 20 players that we pretty much got at all four tournaments. So for an, an, a subgroup of that 20, we actually sat down with them um, individually. And, and I, I was kind of interviewed them and said, so, uh, so what's it all about? What's the pre-shot routine all about? And, and what do you feel? You know, not letting them know anything about the, the timing and the findings. What, what do you feel, you know, when you're over the ball, what are you trying to do? And, and one of the key things that kind of came out of those, those quotes was um, the importance of that, you know, they felt that they played, in their words, quicker. Um, when they were playing quicker, they were playing better. So if they they talked about, I mean, I think one of the things you always find with players, they, they have little bits of information there. So they talk about flow. So some of them knew about flow. So when I'm in flow, I'm playing playing quicker and those kind of ideas. But I think one of the key, the key things coming out of it was commitment. And when they are committed to the shot, when they, you know, actually have a really clear understanding of what they're trying to do, they'll walk up there and play the shot. The problem comes from the, what the players are saying to us is when I'm slightly unsure, if I stand there too long and I start thinking about, you know, there's all that really long rough on the right of this fairway, then when they get those sort of negative outcome thoughts in their mind, then that's when their their performance goes down a bit. And actually, this kind of t- this ties in with a lot of the research literature uh, outside of uh, looking at what happens on the European tour. You know, there's all sorts of different theories. Uh, there's sort of distraction theory, there's reinvestment theory, you know, where you go back down to your technique and you're thinking all of a sudden about, you know, I need to move my arms in this way or my wrists in this way. And when we do that, that may impact upon how we uh, control our movement and move the club and lead to worse, worse outcomes. Or in terms of distraction, we get internally distracted or externally distracted. And so, so again, that might lead to, to worse outcomes. So it certainly seems from both uh, sort of the research literature and also from what the the players are being saying to us is actually you need to be really clear in your purpose and, and go on and, and get and do it. It's when the thoughts kind of creep in, which to be honest, you know, all, all golfers listening to this will, will know what I mean when you're, you're standing on the tee and you're over the ball and you're probably hanging around a little longer than you needed to, to play the shot. And all of a sudden something creeps into your mind and, and you know, lo and behold, what happens? The, the ball goes flying off uh, to the left with a hook or something or a, or a slice off to the right purely because we've hung around and we've kind of let ourselves be distracted potentially in some way. Got it. Got it. So it's getting in that, that committed state, getting in that state where you can not necessarily have doubts or you have to think a lot 
over the ball then is kind of anecdotally what these these players were saying and i i i relate to that as well um i i think about dr debbie cruz's some of her work on performance states in the brain over the ball and, and getting in that right state um and and how important that is i mean what what do you think is going on in the brain as far do you have any insights into like the states that you think that are, are best for perform- performance in this is this indicative of of something that you've that you've heard or read or i, I sorry just want to dive deeper here and, and see what we can no yeah absolutely i mean it's, it's good that you asked that question Corey. um i actually have a, a phd student of mine is is looking at this at the moment um so she's just coming to the end of her, her phd and and we've been um looking at sort of motor preparation and, and, and looking at heart rate deceleration um, in the golf swing, so it's something that's been seen in 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 in, in dart throwing and in shooting, and in um, archery. That what happens in in the moments of if you like aim and preparation just before uh, letting go of an arrow or, or shooting a gun, we we get a big heart rate deceleration, and that's thought to to link into um, the idea around motor preparation and, and maybe focusing externally rather than internally on our movement. Uh, so we've been starting to do that in golf. And so uh, one of the things that, you know, I think maybe is, is certainly happening um, when people are playing good shots is that um, they're going through this uh, heart rate deceleration phase, which is indicative um, or suggestive of a more external focus in in terms of what they're doing and, and focusing on before they, if you like, pull the trigger on the swing. Um, so I think that would be potentially one of the things that, that would underpin uh, some of the findings here. And, and like I said, we, we are literally doing the, st- the study is going on today um, looking at this in the full swing um, we've got some data on putting already and we know it exists in putting but this idea of your heart rate decelerating also aligning with you know quietening of the uh, motor areas in the brain and before you're ready to uh, pull the trigger and, and move for action in the goal swing so i mean if we were to make this as simple as possible we, we'd tell people that um, you have to be committed to a shot you, you, your brain can't be going through a, a 10 point checklist of internal cues and standing over there over the ball a long time trying to figure things out. Is that the simplistic? Yeah, yeah. So one of the, when I was talking to, to the players, you know, I had the, you know, the privilege of being able to talk to them about it. They, they all said, um, essentially, you know, make your decisions at your bag, get your yardage, get your club. Always have a target. Think about um, where you want the ball to move. As soon as you go up to um, that ball, get over the ball, play a shot, um, and and go from there. And you know that that's what leads to to performance, in their opinion. So your guidance that you gave there was was absolutely right. Was there any relationship between um, the the pre shot routine before time over ball? Did did you look at anything around that as far as um, like if people had spent a shorter amount of time behind the ball, for instance, and they had a longer amount of time over the ball. Like there was some relationship there um, with those two things, or was that not something that you looked at? No, we, we, we didn't measure the, the time that they spent in the bag before they went to address the ball. Um, what, what we did measure in the, in the pre-shot routine is actually consistency of behavior. So how many practice swings, where the practice swings took place. Um, once they're over the ball, how many looks to target. And, uh, and the, the actual finding in terms of pre-shot routine is greater consistency um, is what leads to greater performance in there. Uh, for these European tour players, 
Um, where that's really important is in rounds one and two, the, the individuals who miss the cut um, are typically the ones where their pre-shot routine is less consistent in terms of the behaviors. So like I said, practice swings, looks to target, um, where they're standing to uh, to take those practice swings and, and even picking up a, a start line standing behind the ball before they go to address it. I, and I noticed when I was looking through the data that um, there was a greater impact on putting versus tee shots, for instance. Was that just time over ball or was that pre-shot routine consistency as well? Um, yeah, that's uh, the, the big story around putting for me is, is time over ball. But pre-shot routine consistency plays into that as well. Okay. Um, so the, the, the key things is, you know, consistency in the routine um, and then time over the ball um, in terms of putting and, and tee shots as well. Those are the, the two key areas. Why do you think that there is a, it looks like a much bigger impact with putting than, than tee shots, um, the time over ball had. Why, why such a difference there? I mean, that's a really good question. It's one I'm still, because, you know, literally we kind of just got the data and, and put out these these initial findings. And it's still one that I'm kind of puzzling over a little bit um, because one of one of the things where if, if I broke down the puttings into putting into different distances um, around those three to five foot putts, it is a massive effect. You know, where you where you are that little bit longer over the ball has has a huge, huge effect on outcome. And, and actually, one of the things that, that really shows that is we we modeled uh, for these European tour players. So, so for these 20 players where we had all these rounds, we kind of went, okay, let's, you know, let's hypothetically take out all the, the longer times over the ball. So, um, you know, if we remove those shots and replace them with like an average outcome uh, for, for what you should do from, from that line, that distance, what would happen to your score across a tournament? And uh, so that it kind of works out that across a tournament, they would be, you know, on average, 1.2 shots lower across the tournament. Some would be three shots lower, some would be one shot lower, but it, the average shape shook out at, at 1.2. Um, and that means a lot more money for them. Um, but what's really interesting in terms of your question, in terms of putts and, and tee shots, is that most of those extra sort of gains um, came in putting for most of the players. Hitting it off the tee, you get, you know, you get small gains, um, you know, and, and the players themselves these days are talking about fractions of, of a stroke gain. Um, so they do get small gains there. But um, the real big gains are, are around putting and, and, and being a little bit quicker over the ball um, when you're putting. Got it. And um, it, do you think it's that same thing that we talked about before uh, with kind of the heart rate, um, the heart rate dropping prior to performance and in that whole thing? Is, is that why that's important with with putting and that it shows up much stronger is, is that it's a more feel-based less technical aspect of golf or like any any insight there yeah absolutely um we we have studied data on, on putting already um and you know that's one of the things that we do see in better putters is we see a more uh pronounced heart rate deceleration um before they come to, to putt the ball and then equally that that deceleration is more robust under pressure um, so if we if we took um, a putter is not as good under pressure, what we'd see is, you know, if we ramp up the pressure in some artificial way uh, through having a leaderboard or telling them we're going to put the putt on social media or, or whatever it might be or put some money on the putt, lots of different ways we can do this. Um, for the really good putters who, who can deal with that pressure, they maintain this deceleration in their heart rate. Um, for the putters who, who maybe can't uh, or don't have the coping tools to deal with the pressure as well, um, then we see that there's either uh, no heart rate deceleration 
or a reduced heart rate deceleration, which also then leads to um, reduction in performance as well. Gotcha. So do you think this is one of the most important findings then of the study is like this time over time over putts um, that, that yes. people should pay attention to? Yeah, absolutely. For me, um, so as I said, we, we gave the European tour players individual feedback. Um, so the, the kind of the 20, you know, the players where we had enough data to make it, you know, actually we're pretty sure what we're seeing in you. So we've got, you know, at least eight rounds of data on them. Uh, I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head, something like uh, 70, 70% of them, that the main focus was time over the ball with putting. Um, so it's not to say that, you know, other ones wouldn't gain from from better time over the ball on tee shots. But for me, um, it really is on the green and, and around the green. Got it. Uh, and I think that's something easy to change, which is a good thing uh, and something to become aware of and it's something to, to focus on, which is which is nice. It's not this uh, kind of unmeasurable thing. Any, anyone can can kind of think about this. So is the idea here then if you're spending too long, if, if folks, you know, they, they feel like they've spent a long time over the ball, those thoughts creep in just to back away and restart then, do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if if you if, but it's the discipline to do that. It's having the discipline um, and being disciplined in your you know it, it, golf is very much about discipline, making good decisions of the bag, good targets, good strategy. Um, but then when you're over the ball, is if that is coming in, the time to you know back off. I actually I need to stop because I think it's often quite easy. We we kind of just stay there and and kind of then rationalize almost more thinking that it will be fine and and it, and it doesn't work out well and and we know from like i mentioned noel rousseau um uh, one of my my ex phd students who graduated a couple of years ago we know from one of his uh phd studies where we manipulated the time people had um that if we if we give you longer than you normally are over the ball then cognitive thought increases in that time um if we cut it down a little bit it doesn't necessarily reduce but the key thing is it doesn't, you know, it's not getting longer. So not being longer over the ball um, is, is really important. So which way do we go? Do we reduce time over ball or do we reduce thinking over ball, which reduces time? Like what, well, which way do we there's think? Two, there's two. I think, I think personally, I think time, time sort of uh, drives that one. Um, you know, certainly from the work that we've seen with, with Knowles, um, PhD, uh, that you know, if if time is sure, then you, you, there's a tendency. It wasn't statistically significant, but there was a tendency for less cognitive thought. Um, but definitely, when time was longer, uh, cognitive thought went up. Uh, so my feeling is that 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 time is is that driver. But that's not to say really that you can't get in there and um, and and have lots of thought in a short time. Uh, but you'll probably realise it at that point. Um, and I think one of the areas that you know. I'm, we're interested in exploring but we haven't really gone there yet is um how things like sort of working memory capacity play into all of this um in terms of you know what thought is good for a player or not did you see more variability in time over ball um let's say at the beginning or end of a round or in round four versus round one or anything like that um players players were pretty consistent um in terms of their time over the ball to be honest the the variation was um, within a tournament was, was more or less the same. It, there was obviously, obviously between day to day, there was a little bit of variation, a little bit of change, but nothing drastic. Um, where we did see um, some considerable variation is in tournament to tournament. And, uh, you know, if, you know, I can obviously go in and pick out individuals where we've got multiple tournaments on and, 
And uh, I, I have a graph that, that kind of didn't make the, the, the findings as such, but um, it was one individual. And, and in one tournament, uh, we plotted their kind of the whole spread of, of all their tee shots. So um, we, we sort of showed the tee shots over time. So, you know, from from quick all the way to throw uh, slow, sorry, and they're all plotted out as these individual points. And, and so there's this massive spread when this player finished in the top 40 of the tournament. And the spread gets smaller when they finished in the in the top twenty, and when they finished in the top ten, um, that variation there's still variations. That's one of the things we need to remember. There's still variation in time over the ball for any within any one round and tournament, but that variation that, that, and, and was a lot reduced, and so they were a lot more consistent when they they made the top ten. Um, and then for me, graphically, I, I know we can't I can't show you it here. That that really um, uh, sort of is a really great picture in terms of how consistency um, plays into performance any ideas on what causes that difference uh, from week to week versus day to day i think i think that's an area that we you know we we probably need to explore um a little bit more uh for players and, and players need to explore that you know with with coaches and and, and with the people their teams that that they work with i mean I think one of the things for me that is, is something that we really haven't explored in, you know, is actually effective travel um, on these players and, you know, playing three, three on the bounce. Uh, what effect does that have in, in terms of how they go out and, and perform? Um, so, you know, I could, I could really speculate, um, I think, fatigue and, and travel and accumulated uh, fatigue uh, would be a really interesting one to look at. And equally, you've got to remember that these guys have other distractions in their lives as well. So uh, that can all play into it. Got it. So you think that some of those factors, like these external factors, impact time over ball? I mean, I mean, that's it's crazy to think about um, that that can have such a, a big impact um, well, on that yeah. thing. I, I think I think Cordy, I'm, I'm really kind of speculating there because I mean, I haven't. No, I'm for sure, for sure. Them. But you know, I'd imagine that you know anything going on around around a player, um, you know, could potential potentially have have an impact upon um, what's going. Equally, you know, their their kind of state of mind, what they're thinking about, what they're trying to get out of the tournament. Um, you know, and and that'll be. I mean, what I'd love to do is is take a much um, sort of deep, deeper dive in uh, with a kind of a couple of players and follow them really closely across a whole a whole season and, and kind of well not mean a whole season but a series of tournaments and really understand everything that's going on because you know if we're really going to um, understand what drives performance here you know we've looked inside the ropes we also um, on one of the tournaments collected some data on the practice ground um, but uh, you know there's, there's so much pl- plays into this this setting that you know we we've only really just tapped the surface um, of, of what could drive performance in these players. And, it, you know, you would expect, um, for instance, I'm looking at Andy Sullivan's, um, the, the data right now. Uh, okay. I'm looking at like his player dashboard and change in time over ball. And, and just, mm-hmm. you know, some of the differences from week to week, uh, you know, these are, these are the, uh, the best players in the world. And it's fascinating mm-hmm. that they're changing the time over, mm-hmm. over the ball, um, from tournament to tournament from week to week. It, it's, it, it's really surprising you know you'd think that they would be pretty much the same all the time no yeah absolutely and and i think it it, it does vary i mean w- one of the things that the players asked to have the actual time over the ball there i would always caution on that because uh what we did when we actually looked at the data 
um, is we normalized the time over the ball to a tournament. Um, so we, we looked at change from the average for that tournament. Um, if I had had exactly the same volunteer measuring the same person for all the tournaments, I'd be a lot comfier at looking at raw time over the ball. Um, the players asked for it to be in there, so we put it in there. Um, but, you know, for, for me, the, the, the better way of actually looking at this is the variation in the, the time over the ball over the, the quicker and the slower shot. So I'm always a little bit cautious. Um, although actually in a lot of the players, you know, there is, you know, they are pretty close tournament to tournament um, about looking at those those actual figures of the you know seconds and, and hundreds of the second over the ball. Um, and, you know, in that case, because it was recorded by different volunteers. And that's why we normalize that data in our analysis. For sure. Um, so time over ball. Um, what was the what was the the specific relationship again? It was one. You said one point two shots per round. Um, yeah. So um, so what we did, we 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 said, okay, if you if we took out all of the shots in a in a tournament uh, for one of these players and uh, where they stood over the ball, you know, considerably longer than normal. So that's you know we went what's well, considerably longer? Well, a second is going to be considerably longer. That's a you know, that's a measurable amount of time that we can be quite confident on. So all shots that were over a second longer um, than than their normal for that for that tournament or actually that round would take take those out of the analysis and kind of go okay so what strokes did you gain or lose there and let's just kind of give you a zero strokes gain loss um, and then how does that how might that play into your final score at the end of the tournament um, and you know the average number was 1.2 shots changed um, as in better so the score would be lower at the end and for some players it was three shots lower for some players you know there wasn't actually much effect and I think that's one of the really important things to to remember in here there were people in the study who were actually really quite consistent uh, both in terms of their time over the ball um, and also uh, you know looks to target practice swings in their in their pre-shot routine and so one of the things we, we can say about that kind of individual it's something else is driving the outcomes of their shots so we need to remember that time over the ball pre-shot routine yes it has an influence but there are you know as we already mentioned a whole host of other factors that are going to be underlying performance Yes. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, got it. So now I think this time of all thing, I, I think we've, we've dived into a lot of this. They, let, let's dive into the pre-shot routine consistency a bit. Um, you know, there's my question. I lost it. I found it again. Uh, so it, it, I think when I think about playing well, when I think about watching players that are playing well um, in big moments, I think the, the word flow comes to mind etc and you understand that they're not taking a bunch of time right they're not like yep. over analyzing things they're not working on their golf swing uh you know it's they're just they're playing they're performing at the their elite level and so i think like understanding that they play faster is good did you find any players that played worse when they when they had faster time over the ball because they started to like rush too much um, yeah i think i think that definitely occurs Okay. Uh, there is a point. So, I mean, this all the the key thing from this is finding what works for you. Um, and you know, that's what these players, you know, that they work with their coaches if they have a kind of a a, a, psych, a psychologist, a sports psychologist, or, or whoever who who works with them um, as well. Then they work with them to develop their routines and, and what they do. And you know, for any one person, there's likely to be you know that range which is optimal. 
Um, but you need to go and work out what that is for you. So, you know, my best advice there would go, go and see a PGA professional and, and talk to them about it um, and, and kind of go from there. So, um, yeah, you can get too quick. And equally, I also think you can get too consistent. So there was always variability um, within within the data. So we shouldn't be looking for, for zero, um, you know, zero you know, variability, 100 percent consistency. Uh, so, I mean, you talked about looking at Andy Sullivan's dashboard and, and what you can see there. If we if we think about the the looks to target and practice swings, the different colors indicate, you know, the more different colors are, the, the more variability there is. So, you know, there can be variability. And, and actually, that's really important because if we think about um, shots on the golf course, every shot's unique. Um, you know, you you walk to your ball, you, you find it, and it's maybe a lie you've never seen before. Even if you're on your home course, you're in a position you, you may not have been in before uh, with where the ball is, with the combination of the wind and the and where the pin's placed. Um, and so you have to adapt and you have to have variability within your system to to adapt to that. And so, yeah, you know, if I was to give people the, the kind of the, the, the rule of thumb on, on what people do in terms of behaviors, it's two practice swings, two looks to target. Um, and I would say, you know, that's kind of a guideline that comes out of the European tour. And you can be pretty much, yeah, if you went two and two, that's what most players do. But within that, there is variability. And, and I think one of the key types of shots where we need variability um, is in bunker shots, um, because they're all pretty different, and recovery shots as well. So where we're recovering our ball from a hazard or you know, from the trees or somewhere where we can't play a, you know, a normal shot towards the pin. And, and, and one of the things that we saw when we looked at recovery shots and, and bunker shots is that actually this idea of time over the ball and consistency is different there. Um, there is no pattern between good and bad shots if you're playing out of a bunker or playing a recovery shot. Um, and, you know, if you want my take on that, that's because they're very different each time. Um, so it probably takes a little bit more figuring out. And and because the nature of the shots, you know, if, a, if it's a fairway bunker that's, that's quite shallow, that would be different to when we played um, uh, the Irish Open over at Paul Stewart. You know, we've got the pot bunkers in there where, you know, getting out is the priority. Um, but if we were to go to tee shots, approach shots and putts, that's that's where consistency um, and time over the ball really, really come into play for me. Got it. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at what you just mentioned, the, the two looks to target, two practice swings, um, and then kind of the, the consistency. Is that where, like, uh, there's a number of times that, for instance, uh, Andy Sullivan took three, four practice swings on approach yep. shots, so, so for instance, like he would take more practice swings on approach shots first tee shots is what I'm seeing here. Yeah. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I kind of, I give you the, you know, the, if you like the group average and it's actually one of the, one of the difficulties with science, you know, we, we often look at things at a cohort level in science, but when we're playing individually as a golfer, we're an individual. So it is about working out what works for you. And I wouldn't be surprised if people had a different routine and, and actually most of these players did, but certainly uh, putts is different to tee and approach, um, and, and sometimes um, tee and approach would be different. They were often very, very similar between these players, um, but putting is very different. So it's actually you know coming up with with a, a pre-shot routine that works for you for the different shot types um, that you're going to have to play. And 
one of the really key things is uh, if I if I was to go and look at amateur golfers and maybe look at them on the practice range, I think maybe they're starting to get better in terms of a bit of variable practice. And I know you've had some podcasts on that. But the one thing that they don't ever really do is practice their pre-shot routine. Um, and when we talk to the European tour players, yeah, they don't do it all the time, but they certainly have specific points um, in the week where they will practice with their pre-shot routine. Because, you know, it's one thing about getting the, the golf swing sort of grooved and, and moving well, if you want to think about technique. But if you don't practice your pre-shot routine before you go and play, it's going to be a bit alien to you. So, you know, I think it's about for amateurs finding, you know, the pre-shot routine that works for them with their coach and then equally practicing that, not just going and, and playing the, the uh, competition at your club on a, on a Saturday and, and then introducing a pre-shot routine, having not practiced it for the rest of the week. I am looking at Paul, uh, do you say wearing or, or warring? How do you say his last wearing. name? Wearing. Okay. I'm looking at his data here. Um, very different over the course of these three tournaments that you have in here for his player dashboard, um, looking at the looks to target and practice swings. And it, it's very much, he's increasing the, the number of both from tournament to tournament. It's kind of like, it's, it looks really interesting any insight into what's going on there and why that trend happened um well i think actually if you, if you look at, at paul's um paul's performance in, in in those tournaments it was very varied uh so uh, e each of the tournaments there was uh was varied in, in terms of uh his his outcomes as such um so uh I, th I think maybe that that plays into it a little bit there for uh, for what we're seeing in paul and you know that kind of underlines again you know the importance of um trying to develop consistency between tournaments not that there won't be variation but um and, and understanding what what works for you was there any insight were you able to interview him by chance paul? yeah yeah well i mean paul was obviously involved in the story and yeah and um in in, in the study and, and we um yeah I, I did i did manage to have a have a have a chat at him but you know, I'm not going to sh uh, share what was in that because that's that kind of between me and Paul and that needs to be anonymous. Sure, sure. Um, no, I mean, that's just, it's really interesting looking at that trend um, and, and kind of why those things happen. Um, even if, let's say, for instance, someone is trying to make a change in their golf swing or they're trying to do something that their coach wants them to. And so they start taking more practice swings or something like that. Uh, did you see anything in a change like that of, of a change to approach thus they modified their their pre-shot routine to work on something or improve something uh well i mean we we didn't work with the players at that that kind of level of uh, level of detail um but you know talking to to the players when, when we interviewed this this group of players they try to um you know over time they develop their their pre-shot routine um they did talk about that routine would change from time to time um, in terms of what they did, but you know they they carefully considered what what the changes were um, as such, and you know what, one or two of them talked about that sometimes they they consciously felt they needed to to change that change the routine, um, but they had picked the right point in the season to do that. So as for how that then plays into um, uh, you know any technical change, I think what what you'll find with these um, European tour players is when they're on the course, they're they're in performance mode. They're not trying to iron in or grain in a a, a technical change at that point. Um, they talked about the purpose of the practice swings being, um, you know, these two practice swings is to get the feel for the shot. So if, if it was a draw, they wanted to feel a draw. If it was a fade, they wanted to feel a fade. 
Um, and, and when they had that, they're good, and, and then they would go. Got it. Got it. Um, when uh, th- this consistency over the ball, fifty um, percent more likely to make the cut. Is that consistency of every tee shot, every approach, and every putt, or is it consistency of all pre-shot routines and all shots together, or is it broken out into three different things? Uh, so, so we can uh, if it, so the fifty the fifty percent is um, is is all of it. All of the uh, tee shot, so that's combined tee shot, putt, and um, uh, approach shot. Sorry, um, but then yeah, we can we can uh, break that out into um, other bits as well. And and so in terms of you know in terms of uh, the consistency, obviously the, the number changes a little bit. But if I was to give you the the, the most important of those three, would be uh, approach shot um, consistency. Really interesting. Yeah. I would not have guessed that at all because I would have thought that there'd be more inconsistency there because you, you have such different looks with approach shots yeah it's kind of a it was an interesting one for me um you know because like you say you could have a real load of varied lies out there um so i that i mean that equally could have been an impact of the you know an effect of the, of the courses that, that we played but they were quite different so it did kind of come through but then equally uh what was one of the interesting things is um obviously mark Brody's done a lot of work. Um, if you're you know, familiar with, yeah. with his book and, and you know every shot counts, and you know and, and his research, you know finding that approach shots and, and tee shots and long game are really important. So uh, you know just kind of to well, satisfy my, my curiosity about how how good my data was, I went and, and looked at you know the importance of a, approach and, and tee shots in um, in in making the cut. Uh, so you know, in terms of you know, if, would you gain more? Do people who make the cut gain more stroke? They must gain more stroke somewhere. But where do they gain them from? Um, and they gain them from a, from approach shots in the main, um, and then tee shots being being number two. So uh, perhaps that also then plays into that idea of uh, approach shot consistency being really important. Hmm. I mean, maybe we just think too much into it then with the the approach shots and spend too much time trying to figure it out when. Um, and that's just not helping. I don't know. It's my. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think one of the things for me is um, expectation. Uh, I think uh, certainly with amateur players, sometimes they they have uh, these great expectations of what they're going to do on their approach shot. You know, they might have landed in the middle of the fairway off the off the tee, and and then they see that that pin, and and uh, you know they're I don't know 160 yards out. And uh, and they think I'm gonna I'm gonna put this right down the the throat of the pin here, um, and and then they start to think about how am I going to do that, and, and I think that may play into that rather than than actually kind of thinking middle of the green, and and I think that's one of the things I'd love to do is to do this in amateurs, and actually just look at in terms of consistency and time over the ball how much decision comes into it. Um, I, I just think that's that's fascinating um, about how people make good or bad decisions on, on, on the golf course and, and then how that may, you know, if there's that uncertainty in their decision, uh, how that may then play into this idea of time over the ball. Yeah. So if we were to break this down, kind of two most critical factors, it'd be time over time over putting and then consistency with, with approach shots. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where I go. Um, time over the ball when you're putting um, and then, uh, yeah, consistency in in terms of approach shots, and you know, if if I was to give you another statistic, we we've got in the in the um, in the uh, data that on approach shots and par fives, um, where where you're a little bit quicker at the ball and where you're more consistent, then you you, you hit like twenty percent more greens. 
So uh, I think I think any player would take that. Approach shots on par fives. Interesting. Yeah. So that that short wedge game. Yeah, or or equally, um, we've got to remember for these guys, this is a second shot to the green for most. Sure. Of them. Okay. Got it. Huh. That is um, that's fascinating. Okay. Cool. Man, we've um, we've covered it. I feel like there's so many other questions, uh, so many, so many I, things to dive into I, here. I, I could talk about this forever and ever. To be honest, there's uh, I mean, I'm still kind of picking. You know, every now and again, I'll I'll come up with a question and think, hey, you know, that'd be really cool. I wonder, I wonder if that's in the data, and you know, go go and go and have a look at that. And there's a, there's a number of areas that I haven't even um, dived into yet um, that I I really want to to kind of get into. You know. Which I'm, you know, I, I want, I'll do over time. And for example, we've got penalties marked down. Um, so what what does a player do around a penalty shot, uh, you know, or a shot that leads to a penalty? Um, and, and equally, what happens on the following shot in terms of consistency, time over the ball, and and things like that? And and then the obvious one in terms of that is, you know, if they if they're taking a a tee shot and for whatever reason they have to reload, um, what's the difference between the first and the second one? Uh, I, th- I think that's going to be fascinating, and you know that's one of the things I'm definitely going to go and go and look at in this data. Did you look, um, for instance, like uh, I'm looking at back at Andy Sullivan here yeah. at his putting? Um, there are some instances where he has zero practice swings, and then uh, others where he has two. It's like pretty much zero, two, or three, or even four yeah. with him. Did you look at like? He's did typically had zero on putts inside five feet and then had four practice swings on the the sixty footer or anything like that? Uh not yet. I mean these are all all fantastic questions and you know things that um I I want to do and, and go and look at this data. I think this is um you know, with these you know, twenty two thousand shots and, and we've got about I guess it's about eighteen different bits of information on each of these shots. So it's it's going to take a while um, yeah. to get through there, and you know I think what you'll find is this is just th- these are the first things that we we're, we're going to let come out and, and, and let everybody see, and, and there'll be more to follow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My other question would be like on the approach shots, the ones where they're taking three practice swings versus one. Is that the the recovery shot? You know, out of the no, no. The uh, so the re- the recovery shots we. Um, so when we're collecting the data, we, we separated the shots out into tee shots, approach shots, uh, bunker shots, recovery shots, and putts. Ah. So, uh, so, yeah, the approach shots don't have the recovery shots in. So that's, you know, that, this oh, is the okay. thing about approach shots. These are, these are kind of fairly, uh, I don't want to be, fairly standard shots. So they're, they're kind of, you know, manageable lies. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not horrendous. These are... Um, pretty straightforward shots and i think that's one of the key things you know, I, you know bunker and recovery shots are a different kettle of fish you need some variation in there you might need a little bit more time over the ball um, just because it's likely that it's pretty new every time but approach shots if you if you're hitting the fairway if you're in the middle of the fairway okay target's going to be different and stuff but what you're playing from is 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 consistent every time yeah and how would you measure what is a good recovery shot as well i guess i i mean that would well, seem like a recovery shot difficult. we can yeah we, we can look at the expectation of how many uh you know how many shots are to the hole you know on average from from that lie and and that position and then after the recovery shot um you know how many what's the average number of shots to the hole from the the lie and and that position afterwards so um 
you know kind of you know what what the every every stroke count every shot counts um uh, scenario that, that mark brody looked at you know in, in our recovery shots you can say well in a bunker from 150 yards it takes you x number of shots to to get the ball in the hole normally on average for, for a professional player so once you've played that shot you know how many how many shots are, there, are then left and so you can work out strokes gained and, and strokes lost from that yeah yeah um any variation between weather or course conditions that you saw uh, uh no it's fairly solid i think the one thing i can tell you not from a point of view of time over the ball but um uh when it rains they play quicker yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah we, we didn't really see much in terms of the uh the timings so, um you know in, in terms of times over the ball i mean one of the ones that i thought where we might see it is um over at port stewart with the irish open um it was really windy and there's some tee shots there where you are pretty exposed uh but I mean, it's limited day because it's one tournament, but there wasn't really a, anything that was jumping out at me um, as a pattern. And, and certainly in terms of the numbers, there was nothing there. Hmm. That's, um, that's super interesting. Is there any, like any other questions or things that you've been thinking about lately that you think are, that we've missed that we haven't talked about that are kind of top of mind for you on the study? For me is, uh, I want to drill down into individual players a little bit more, um, so where I've got more is, you know, and really sort of do a deep dive into a single player and, and, and try and understand them um, really quite far down at, at, at the shot level. Um, that's where I'm sort of going to head towards next, probably. Uh, but, you know, all the things, it's been great talking to you because it's, it's kind of put more ideas in my head, you know, around the wind thing. I can go and revisit that. And, you know, the wind thing, obviously, I'm looking at it at a group level, but it might be individual players. And if I go into an individual player that we, we see particular things, so it's just then picking that apart in the, in the data and, and asking that question and seeing if there is a, what the answer is. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing is um, with putting, for instance, right. Um, very specific, like what are variation variations in, in putting uh, conditions. So stems of greens. Um, I would be curious to see if, you know, if a faster green they spend, less time versus slower or anything like that would be um it'd be interesting to, to see if there's any difference yeah there. I've, I've got the stints of all the greens on each day okay uh, but probably not enough variation yeah, yeah yeah um which is kind of i mean when we came to the british masters uh you know in the one just gone um that was probably the slowest hmm. um and i think off they're going off the top of my head something like wentworth was the quickest because they've got the sub air system there that, right. that drives everything out um but yeah they, although you know i say quick and slow you know the gap wasn't that much right right um no for sure when you drill down into specific player data like you want to do like what are you hoping to find or like what what do you think you can figure out by doing that i've, I've no idea i'm just in, it's just intriguing <laughs> um <laughs> i just just you know just just want to go and look at it you know you know we, we've got some some uh some data on some some winners in here and we've got a whole you know one of the things we did when we followed players we try to pick a range so obviously that's why we can talk about players who missed the cut and, and, and made the cut hmm. uh, but then equally i think looking at individual variation a bit more closely um across a tournament and then what drives those things for players um like i said i mean i think i i would love to to work with a couple of these players and go well let's just follow you in even more detail and try and understand you even more. And actually, you know, actually, you know, there's probably something in there um, in terms of being able, you know, 
coaches to think about how they might better better support their players um, or, or something that they may be not looking at the moment in terms of going forward. Perfect. Um, I think that we've we've covered the study and kind of talked talked through it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the only thing we haven't touched on is is what players said about how amateurs practice. Um, Fire away. Yeah, what do you yeah, got? So, yeah. uh, well, so sit, sit down with the players. So we we, um, we also collected some some data on uh, at the BMW PGA Championship over here uh, on the uh, looking at what. Uh, players did on the practice ground in terms of the amount of time spent there as such and you know so they, they would spend an average of 32 minutes on on the driving range and, and kind of work through work through the bag um and but one of the key things there is that they are changing their target all the time um and when we talk to the players as well they they talk about the importance of um a lot of them not all of them a lot of them playing holes on the range um, thinking about the shots that they need on the course. Uh, we asked them about what we advise amateurs to do. And it was to, to, a, to a person, it was, you know, think when you're practicing, think about the shots you're going to need on the course. Don't think about hit, trying to hit the perfect shot. Think about what you need. Don't overly think about, about your technique. Um, and equally be prepared to, to go out there. And, you know, if you're going to go and play, it, there will be rounds where you play with something that's less than what you want you need to still play and, and be able to score. Um, you know, that was one of the key things that, that kind of came through is to have a purpose when you're practicing on the range, to pick different targets, to vary it, to change change clubs, to create fairways for your driver between markers or, or whatever furniture's on, on the range, um, you know, and, and actually make practice a lot more realistic to um, uh, what you're actually going to do on the course. That was the, the key message from these European tour professionals. Equally, they did say, you know, at times we do do technique. Absolutely. But a lot of our practice, especially at tournaments when we're going to play, is aimed at getting ready to play shots we need, um, playing holes. One or two of them talked about playing the first four holes before they went out in their mind on the range. Um, and then uh, yeah, and then getting out there and, and, and committing to their shots and being positive. I will pull that out, transcribe that and make that blast that out everywhere i can <laughs> that is a, a lovely little snippet there um that is perfect that is perfect um you have five more minutes for some yeah, rapid yeah, fire yeah, questions yeah, yeah. okay yeah. I've, I've just started doing these these rapid fire questions because i think it's fun okay. to end with a little bit of context maybe of who you are um so here we go best golf purchase or gear that you've received lately could be anything from a shirt to a hat to a club so, uh uh, uh uh oh well uh so i was sitting in my office here i've got like 300 golf balls that was good <laughs> that is that is a good thing um those come in handy I, I run through those um let's see most memorable golf trip or golf course that you've played uh so oh that would probably be st andrews somewhere uh so i like the new and the jubilee um i actually i played the jubilee for the first time uh when the world scientific congress of golf was up there and i really enjoyed that i was just playing with some friends and we played it a couple of times we enjoyed it the, the first time so much and uh you know yeah some people say it wasn't the great course but it's actually the company and the people you're playing with as well made it a great round of golf and i love that nice nice um 
what bad advice do you hear most often given to golfers? <laughs> well, oh, uh, where do you want to start? Um, what bad advice? Uh, if I was to kind of give you a general thing that there is one way of doing it, you know, you need to do this comes out a lot, or you need to do that when actually, you know, you don't necessarily know what that person needs to do. And, you know, so there are no models for, for the swing. Um, there are parameters it needs to work within, but yeah, things that are trying to be overly prescriptive about how we move that club. Love that. Love that. That was, that was awesome. Um, favorite club in your bag. Favorite club. Uh, currently my putter. Uh, yeah, I have, I have a, a, a Zen Oracle putter. They're made over here in, in, uh, in, in Sheffield. I just love it. It's, it's a solid block of aluminium. It's, it's machined out. Uh, from a solid block of aluminium and then it's anodized so it, it hardens it up so the ball doesn't doesn't dink it too much and uh, yeah i just love the feel of that putter nice nice that is um i haven't i'll have to check that out i don't know if i i've seen that before um okay let's see yeah, oh this is a great question for you uh young teenage golfer um let's say 15 to 18 something like that they tell you they want to play on tour what advice do you give them? Have something to fall back on. It's really hard to get up there. Um, so yeah, don't don't neglect your education. Um, but yeah, work hard, enjoy it, um, and uh, yeah, have something to fall back on. It is really hard to get out there. There you go. That is uh, the realistic the realistic advice there. I like that one. Um, and let's finish on this one. I'm sure you have some good games. You have 18 holes. You're going to play with friends this Saturday. What's mm-hmm. that? What's the, your favorite game? play favorite game uh oof. uh i'd probably play some yeah some sort of skins game uh maybe i don't know pound a hole something like that there you go there you go well that that wraps us up this has been this has been fun man i feel like we have dived into this i will work on putting this together um do you have do you have any other interesting graphs or anything that people haven't seen or that are um, maybe a little different can, that you that you think should I be can, shared? Uh, yeah, you know the one I talked about, like the it, it kind of shows this player, the yeah. player's performance. Yeah. Doesn't say who the player is, but um, that one's really good in terms of uh, it's just tee shots, but it kind of shows this idea of the the consistency being more and a better performance in the tournament. That, okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah, I can, I can flick that across to you. That's no problem. Do you have any, cause I like looking at these player dashboards and stuff, they're awesome, but they don't have the results on them. So it's kind of hard to correlate like what, what I'm looking at to how the player did for like, for instance, Andy Solvin's like, I, am I just missing okay. where it says how he did in these tournaments? No, or? I mean, it, it, because these are aimed at the players, they know how they did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so we didn't, we didn't kind of put it on there. Um, but uh and, and equally there's like uh the players get an ever so slightly different version um gotcha. because for some of the players we've we've actually modeled out you know <laughs> it's kind of funny it's like you could have made this um, <laughs> i'm sure they love that <laughs> yeah they do they do um <laughs> you know and for some of them it's it's uh i mean yeah, you've seen that you've seen the video you know yeah. one hundred eighty-nine thousand euros is about 20 places on the order of merit over here so that, that's that's absolutely huge yeah um but for some of them you know one hundred eighty nine thousand is is the average right mm-hmm. so you can imagine some of them 
it was a lot more money. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Do you so have any? Do you have any graphs? Okay, with, why didn't you tell me this in the season? <laughs> yes. Do you have any graphs that show like their, their, for instance, their performance related to their pre-shot routine or time over time over ball? Um. So you see the dashboard one. Um, Paul's quite a good one for this. Okay. Is um, if you look at his dashboard, pull it up one second. <laughs> I guess like I can just overlay if yeah, just if you their look scores at his, or something. His dashboard, the green shots on the timing one are, are, is is where he's uh, he's gaining strokes. It's kind of showing that when he's a little bit quicker, he is gaining all these strokes. Yeah, he's a pretty good example of what it looks like. Um, now, I think the really important thing is with all this that there is always variation. Yeah, um, and and that's one of the the key things. But if you yeah, I mean, I, it, but if you wanted to do one without kind of the RSM, I mean, RSM will be pretty keen on you just lifting that slide to be honest. Okay. But, um, can can I can I just like take that slide and then just put in like finished twentieth or whatever on yeah, that? Yeah, no, that'd be cool. It's okay. out there. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I I think it'd be good if if you could show like a little context. Um, obviously these these are for the players, like you mentioned, but um, I think it'd be interesting to see to see it the data compared to their performance, obviously, um, and the change. Yeah, but yeah, players get um, yeah, they get a lot more um developed information yeah in, in, yeah their own no it's cool that you've you've released all this though um and then do you have like a formal like published study that you're working on or is this uh, yeah um so what i'm hoping to do first first port call when i find a moment is to um get the abstract written to get it into the world scientific congress of golf over yeah. in um yeah. abbotsville next year um, i'm actually on the organizing committee in. for that so are you okay cool. yeah yeah <laughs> um so I've already booked my flights, so it better happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the idea is that I'll put something over there, whether I kind of put uh, a number of things or whether I kind of go, I might need a little bit longer than normal to to get through all of this stuff. Um, you know, and then, then actually one of the other things I thought is, well, well maybe I'll find a, a golf coach and, and I can talk about what the tall players are doing and, and maybe they can then translate that into uh, what it means for amateurs. Um, yeah. So another kind of workshoppy thing i thought maybe about you know rather than just going this is the research what does it mean if there are coaches there and stuff yeah yeah no for sure that'd be interesting um that my my next suggestion for you is to strap in uh it's an eeg that measures brain activity right uh yeah 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 so that's why we use so we, we use heart rate as a proxy so we're okay. actually currently investigating and it's a pretty good proxy um we're actually currently investigating um how we can get um uh, EC, ECG accuracy, uh, so in terms of heart rate, which is what we need okay. on the course, and we think we can do it. Um, hmm. We've actually kind of put together a design for a little study here that we haven't had time to run yet because the weather's closed in, where there's these, um, what are they called, hexo skin vests that give us yes. um, EEG accu- yeah. uh, ECG accuracy. And uh, I keep trying to push players on, on uh, European tour players, can you just like wear one of these for me? <laughs> <laughs> what about like the uh have you seen it's called like the aura ring that measures heart rate as well have you seen that was is uh which what's that one i don't know is there any way that you could track heart rate with like a like a fitbit type style thing okay. or is that not enough detail yeah it's not enough what we need is um ecg accuracy okay uh because well for example it's kind of like you see polar and and everybody goes oh yeah our heart rate is really accurate it's not it's guess 20 percent of the time gotcha um because we've compared it against research grade stuff okay and yeah so most most commercially like 
for the masses, heart rate monitors are inherently accurate. Gotcha, gotcha. And we're trying to infer what's happening in the brain from the heart rate. We need beat by beat decelerations, so we can't really afford to miss a beat. Yeah. So it'd have to be like a. a... skin will do that for us. We've talked to them um, about that, and and they've got the evidence that it is actually that accurate. So that's kind of on my list of uh, when the weather, when we get through winter here, is is to get pilot it with some players out on the course and then try and persuade some tour players to do it that would be amazing i, I hope that you can do that because you you know using this timing data within with that data and, and looking at the relationship there wow that would be that would be really cool yeah that would be cool and, and equally you know at the moment um there's lots of discussion going on which i'm not particularly party to between rsm and and the european tour about what they want to do next year um mm. You know, so I'm hoping that they'll want to do something that builds upon this. So yeah, so I think it'd be kind of cool to go. Well, we found this. Let's let's try and you know find some players who are real keen and 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 do like a little interventional case study type thing. Okay, nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been wow, time is flying by. There's just so much to dive into. I I really appreciate it. And congrats on on this on getting this all out there and and everything. Um, it's no, really exciting for you. Yeah, I mean, thanks for getting in touch. I mean, one of the things we really want to do is is get the study out there because you know we we you know, I'm absolutely certain this is benefits not just for uh, European tour players, but you know certainly for amateur golfers as well. And, and you know, and if if I mean you'll know if you watch amateur golfers playing, they they're the ones who stand over the ball for ages and ages and ages. Yeah. So I think it would have an even bigger effect in that group. Oh, for sure, for sure. No, this will be this will be good. I'll, I'll let you know how this goes. Um, and if I have any questions or anything following yeah, up on this, but yeah, just come back to me. No problem. Appreciate the time. And, and if uh, you ever have anything new come out or anything else that you want to talk about or promote um, that you've, that you've been working on, just always feel free to let me know. Um, yeah. I mean, we haven't really touched half the stuff that we do here yeah. <laughs> that we, in terms of the, you know, obviously with the PGA's relationship, we have a lot of um, golf related research and I have PhD students looking at stuff and, so yeah, I mean, we have plenty of things um, come out all, all the time, really. I mean, like I was saying, I was just thinking of you know, one of my PhD students who's looked at, you know, if you if you restore somebody's kind of postural structure, um, mm. you know, make them stand better and 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 free up, you know, upper crust and lower crust syndrome. Does it make any difference to the golf swing? It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I love that study. <laughs> But yeah, so but yeah, it, it basically our kind of we then went okay, so we've done these group size studies. Actually, the only thing that really makes a difference is um, like forward head posture, so kind of poking chin, kind of where people have you know you wouldn't oh. see them walking around. And uh, actually, I use a slide of Justin Bieber in my in one of my uh, one of my lectures because he's very much with his head kind of sticking out off okay. his shoulders. There you go. And right. uh, and actually putting your head back on your shoulders has a for for a. Um, the majority of golfers has actually a pretty positive impact in your swing quite quickly. Huh. But um, in terms of improving like lumbothoracic posture and, and, yeah. and scapular control and posture, it doesn't, you know, feed through to the golf swing. But what it probably does, because we then did some case studies, is is give you a better chance of being able to make a coaching change. Hmm. Which you fit with this idea of constraints and stuff. So. Sure. That makes sense. How could I keep track of, of what you guys work on? Just ask you. Or is yeah, there really any ask, way? What's, what's going on? Yeah, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no problem at all. Um, I often I'll, I'll put stuff out on Twitter if we if we've got anything um, that's going on. And um, my other the other one is my colleague Dr. Martin Tom's. Um, yeah, he he's he's the program lead. Oh, obviously, you'll know mine. Um, he he uh, he's he's the program lead for our programs over here. So 
um he i mean he's 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 actually interesting to talk to around the the kind of sociology and, and development of golfers and yeah. and performance development and and we have a a, a a shared phd student a guy called ian peak yes um, i've heard of ian so peaky is uh he's just started his phd with us looking at um the kind of that amateur professional transfer gotcha interesting well i will i will definitely reach out again soon and i'll let you know on this um but man thanks thanks so much for the time i will yeah, um, no i will it's talk good. to you soon and and let you know how this goes that's great thanks cody thanks matt i'll talk soon bye